Uh, so I'm really excited about that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of Proverbs fans in the house. All right, that's great, that's great. Uh, so I like Jesus, but does he like me? And I think that's a valid question. I think that's uh, an actual, a great question, because here's the deal. I know the real me. Uh, I can present myself to others like I have it all together. Uh, I can go on Instagram, and I can look like I'm living my best life. I can uh, take pictures of my vacation and my, my kids who are always picture perfect, and I can make it look like I've got it all together, but there's one person that I can't fool, and that's me. I know the real me, uh, and I don't have it all together. Uh, years ago, I had a humbling season of life. I just graduated college, and I would gotten my degree, and everybody told me once you get a degree, then you get a job. And you get rich. That's sort of how it works, right? Uh, so I got this degree, and I was working part-time at church, and I was just looking for part-time jobs, and I couldn't get a job. I was going to banks. I was going to restaurants. I just couldn't get a job. It was embarrassing, humbling. Someone told me uh, to look at Starbucks, and there was a district manager in Oklahoma City who was planting Starbucks around, and if I got in good with him, he would find me a job. So I went into a Starbucks, and I went to meet with this district manager. And so I dressed really nice, like you do for a Starbucks interview, I guess. I don't know what I wore. Uh, but I went into the interview. I really want to impress him. I walked into the Starbucks, and I remember seeing him. And I was like, OK, make the eye contact, firm handshake. And I go for the handshake. And I did notice it was weird that he didn't give me a handshake back, but it was fine. And we ended up having our interview, and I got the job at Starbucks, OK? Uh, big deal, big deal. Uh, three, a few months later, I'm working at Starbucks, and I sit down with his district manager. He's like, Adam, I have to tell you something about that day that you walked in. And, like, everybody that was working with me starts laughing. Apparently, everybody knows something about me that, that I didn't know. And so he was like, okay, so you walk in that day, you walk into the door, and you, didn't, you don't know that you did this, but you coughed in your hand as you're walking in your door, and the sun was sort of shining behind you. And as you took your hand down to give me a handshake, there was this long strand of spit just hanging from your hand to your mouth. And he said, <laughs> he said, you looked me in the eye and you wanted to give me a big handshake and I wanted to vomit everywhere. <laughs> and so everybody's just dying laughing. My coworkers uh, just laughing at me. And it's just hilarious because here's the deal. Uh, I can present myself like I have it all together. I can make it look like I have it all together, but I'm the guy who's got a three-foot-long spit hanging out of my mouth, right? This is sort of how it works with us. We can pretend like we're perfect, like we're presentable, we're likable. We know the real reality of ourselves. We are imperfect. I'm not only imperfect, I'm sort of a mess. I'm broken. I don't have it all together. Does Jesus, does God like me? I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest. I don't even know if I like myself <laughs> sometimes. Uh, and at Sunday gatherings, it's interesting. Like I can present myself, uh, you know, I can make myself look like I'd be fun to hang out with. Uh, but in honest, in like this is really true, uh, at night I'd rather go sit on a, like a chair and read a book and drink coffee. I'm boring. I'm not likable. That's the real me. Uh, another way to put this, maybe you're asking this question in life, is what is my value? What is my value? Uh, 
Uh, we live in a consumerist culture where everything has a value. Everything is worth something. Uh, if we were to go around the room and we were to look around and we assigned everybody a number from 1 to 10 based on their value, we could go around and we say, well, that person's a 1 because of their great personality or their talents, uh, whereas I'm like a 6 or 7. I haven't achieved as much as them. My value is not as high as theirs. I don't have that gift. I haven't accomplished this or that. What is my value? Many in our world are asking this question, what is my value? Many have relational hopelessness. Many have a loneliness epidemic, depression, thoughts of suicide because of this question. What is my value? So this question is vital for us to wrestle with tonight. If Jesus, if God can see everything, uh, he sees beyond my presentation to others. He knows the real me. Why would he like me? Why would he like me? Why would he value someone like myself? This is important for all of us tonight. Every one of us, whatever our season of life. Maybe you're a student and uh, you're comparing yourself to other students. They're more driven. They're more successful. Uh, They have it all together seemingly. I'm not as valuable as them. Maybe you're in the tech world and uh, you, you haven't uh, had an awesome startup. Uh, you haven't climbed the ladder like you've seen others do. Uh, maybe you're here and you've been in church all your life. You know a lot of this stuff, but you still feel the weight of shame and guilt because you think about the mistakes you've made in your life. Or maybe tonight you, you're not a Christian. Uh, you're just here checking things out. Uh, and this is important for you because you have felt the harshness harshness or judgment of God, and maybe wondering if he only likes religious types, like super holy types, like me, like a pastor. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you realized that was a joke. Good. <laughs> whatever your situation, whatever your stage of life, the question we're asking tonight changes the way uh, every aspect how you approach life. What does God think of me? What does Jesus think of me? This is the last barrier for many people, for uh, discipleship to Jesus, holding out uh, because of fear, uncertainty of what he thinks of us. So thankfully, the Bible has a lot to say on this very topic, and we're going to jump in together, and we're going to start at the very beginning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis 1, or we'll show it on the screen here in a second. Uh, But here in Genesis, we see this story uh, that was passed down for years and years Uh, the history of mankind. One of the primary themes of the Bible is what is the value of a person? What is our purpose? Uh, So uh, this story was passed down for years and years, and it connects with our soul question. And so we see uh, before the Scripture, God creates uh, the world. He creates the sea and the sky and animals And he says it's good. He creates light and dark. He creates it all, and he says it's good. And then we get to human beings, and we see this. One of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. 
Now, the, the concept, uh, that there's a theological word for this concept that's explained this this verse, and it's a concept called Imago Dei. Everybody say out loud, Imago Dei. Good job, guys. Uh, Imago Dei is a Latin term that simply means image of God. It's a term that's just uh, sunk deep into my soul that I think about all the time. A core concept that distinguishes human beings uh, from the rest of creation. Establishes uh, this fact that every human is made in the image of God. Made in his likeness by divine creator. Many of us in modern day America, uh, we might think that's obvious. Like, yeah, of course, everybody. But this was not the case in the ancient world. Uh, in the ancient world, society organized sort of like in concentric circles. Like in the middle circle was uh, a rich adult male. And then as the concentric circles went outward and outward, uh, the outside circles had little to no value. Uh, it's hard to imagine now, but in the ancient world, children uh, didn't have a lot of value. They were often beaten or ignored uh, or sold into slavery. Foreigners of a different tribe were seen as less than human. Uh, different ethnicities uh, were seen as less than human, sold into slavery. And of course, this is not just the ancient world. This is still happening today. Uh, we see racism and slavery existing. We see human trafficking is rampant in the world. Apparently, the value of a human is still in question this day, the value of a person. So this concept, Imago Dei, uh, it's revolutionary. Because it says that each person is created with intention, purpose, detail. Each person is a work of art. There's no value number system with God. Each person is deeply valuable. There's no concentric circles. Uh, I want to show you this. Uh, it's going to be hard for some of you to see, but this is a piece of art right here. Uh, it says, number one, dad. Yeah. Okay. It's not official. I don't know if I'm the number one dad yet. Um, so I made this uh, with my daughter, Hadley, uh, two years ago. She was in preschool, and it's really not great as far as art goes. Uh, <laughs> the, hand, the, like, the nails, you can't really see. They're pretty crooked. They're starting to fall off. Uh, the rubber bands are, are starting to break. Uh, it's not great, but I, I cherish this. It's a treasure for me, right? Why do I treasure this crooked uh, piece of art? Uh, because I can still remember the moment that I sat down with my daughter and we pulled out these little toy hammers and we started hammering together and pulling these rubber bands. I remember this moment of just giggling and having fun. And when I see this, uh, I don't see uh, just uh, a piece of wood and some nails. I see a treasure. Because, why? Because this was created from a place of love and intention. I see this and I see the love of my daughter. I see this and I see the intention and collaboration we made this with. See, tonight you may not look or feel like a work of art from the outside. You may not feel like uh, you've got it all together. But you were created with love and intention. This is your origin story. Now, some of you uh, are here tonight just to hear this. I really believe that. 
And it can be easy in these moments to let it just sort of breeze over your, your head. You say, yeah, yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, sure, I was created from love and intention. Some of you need to hear this tonight in your soul. You are not an accident. I don't care uh, what your parent's situation is. I don't care if they had you by accident. I don't care how they treated, treated you. I don't care if society has labeled you as a loser or a mistake. You may not have the talent that others do. You may feel lost. You may feel scared. You may feel alone. You may feel in pain. Hear these words tonight. You are a work of art. You are a treasure. God has designed and planned you. There's this great uh, chapter in the psalm, Psalm 139, that talks about this very idea. I had a friend in high school. Uh, she, she came from a family where her mom left them uh, for another family, and her dad mistreated uh, her. And so she never heard this message. She was a treasure and work of art, and she became a Christian when she was in high school. And she started writing these words from Psalm 139 uh, everywhere she could to remind her. The psalmist says, you, are created, uh, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Uh, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of you need to hear this tonight. Does Jesus, does God like you? No. No, no, no. He treasures you. You are a piece of him. You are a work of art. You are his design. He doesn't just like you. He treasures you. Now, the second part of this question, does he, does he like me, is this realization uh, of, of the accumulation of things that I, I've done in my life. Sure, I, I might have been created uh, as a treasure, uh, but since then, I've sort of messed that up. Uh, my choices, my selfish agenda, my pain, my brokenness that I've caused others. Uh, my daughter, Hadley, uh, she's pretty sensitive and dramatic, and she, uh, she's the oldest child, so she wants to do everything right, you know. She wants to get it right, do everything right. And occasionally, she'll do something wrong, like she'll hit her brother, Cohen, or something. And uh, it's really interesting. She'll just start crying and I'll go to her and I'll say, hey, what's, what's wrong? And she just says, I'm just not a good girl anymore. <laughs> she feels the weight of her mistakes. She feels the weightiness. Of course, we tell her, it's not that you're not a good, good girl, you just made a mistake. Uh, but I can relate. I can relate to this. The collection of my wrongdoing is weighty. It's massive. It creates a separation between me and God. I feel that. You know, the Bible, the Bible calls this sin. And for many of us, there's a, there's a lot of baggage with the word sin. Uh, but one way to look at it is uh, these are things that go against God and God's intention. And they create a distance between us and him. Uh, and I'm not, not just talking about small things like me stealing my kids' Halloween candy, which has happened every night since Halloween. <laughs> I'm talking about underlying patterns uh, in our soul. We're all aware of these patterns, whether you're a Christian or not. Uh, selfishness, 
anger, bitterness, so on and so on. Uh, we may feel separate, alone, enslaved to the sin. Uh, the Bible compares this state uh, to that of being an orphan, apart, left alone, s- separated from our Father that created us with design. Uh, but we see in Scripture that God still chases after his treasure, so much so the Bible uh, talks about God seeking us, uh, that he wants to adopt us, to pull us from this orphan state. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 8. He says this in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it's that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. There's this beautiful, beautiful concept of adoption woven throughout Scripture. Uh, Several of my friends have adopted kids. Maybe you yourself have been adopted. Uh, In the ancient world, adoption looked a little differently than our process now. Sometimes adoption wasn't just adopting kids. Uh, Sometimes someone wouldn't uh, have someone to pass their inheritance to, so they would adopt an adult, uh, someone to become their heir. Uh, When this would happen, two things would take place. First, uh, this person's debt would be taken care of be paid for. And second, this person would become an heir and receive the person's inheritance. So it's sort of like this. Imagine if uh, Steve Jobs, before he passed away, uh, brought you into his office and said, out of everyone in Silicon Valley, uh, I want to adopt you. You're no longer Adam Hendricks. You're Adam Jobs. I don't like that. Uh, (laughs) And then he says, uh, hey, you know that $200,000 of Stanford student debt that you have and you'll probably never pay off? Uh, Guess what? I just sent them a check straight from Steve Jobs' checkbook. (laughs) Amen. Your debt is paid in full. How awesome would that be? And then, not only that, all your Stanford student debt is paid. Now, you are my heir. All the Apple stock and riches, I don't know how all that stuff works, but it's all yours. You receive it all. Uh, Don't spend it in one place. (laughs) Uh, This, this is what the Bible is talking about. God is, is offering to adopt us, to allow us to become his heir, to pay our debt. These deep patterns of sin and brokenness paid in full, and then to give us inheritance, his kingdom of love and justice, eternal life, now ours. We become his children. This is a great offer of the gospel, the good news that Jesus declared anybody can accept this offer to become an adopted heir of God. So does Jesus, does God like me? So much so that he has chosen you. So much so that he wants to give you the keys to the kingdom. 
so much so that he wants to adopt you. Now, I've got a picture I want to show you. Uh, this is uh, a kid named Eddie, Eddie Van Erden. Uh, Eddie is originally from uh, Quito, Ecuador. Anybody know how to say Quito for sure? Is it Quito or Quito? You're just saying that because of the diet. No, it's Quito. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. Uh, Eddie's originally from Quito, according to these guys. Uh, Eddie um, has Down syndrome and is cross-eyed. Uh, Eddie, when it comes to the concentric circle of worldly value, is very much on the outside. Uh, Eddie was found when he was uh, a baby uh, outside of a dump in Ecuador. Uh, a contractor was out by the dump and he saw a trash bag and he saw something moving in the trash bag. And he opened up the trash bag and it was a baby. It was Eddie. So the contractor talked to the police and the police uh, got Eddie and they put him in an orphanage. A few years later, uh, there was a couple um, Rachel and Jim, uh, they were there for on a mission trip, and uh, they were visiting this orphanage, and someone put Eddie in Rachel's arms, and she uh, fell in love with him. She saw him for the treasure that he was. She saw him for the work of art that he was. Uh, and so uh, Jim and Rachel decided in that moment, they felt that they were being called to adopt Eddie. A lot of people, their friends and family, uh, disagreed with that decision. It was an arduous, long, nearly impossible process that lasted five years. Uh, but five years later, uh, Eddie was officially adopted by Jim and Rachel. And by the way, they already had 10 other kids. <laughs> so they had to build on to their house and add rooms and uh, just different things to make it work for Eddie. Uh, but he became a part of their world. He became a treasure. He became uh, all that he was intended to be. It's just this beautiful idea of adoption. That regardless what we look like, uh, regardless of where we come from, regardless of how society has treated us, God uh, treasures us. He's created us with intention. His works of art. And not only that, but God wants to adopt us into his family. So uh, as we close tonight, I just want to ask us all to bow our heads and just have a little response time here. Uh, tonight, uh, some of you are uh, Christians. You've followed Jesus for a while now. And you may uh, just be needing this deep soul reminder of your worth, of your value. You've forgotten that along the way. It's been beaten out of you along the way. But you need to hear that you are a treasure, that you were created with intention. And you don't have to compare yourself to others. God sees you and loves you how you are. And you may be feeling guilt or shame from things that you've done over the years. God wants to welcome you back into his arms. Now, there's another group of people in here that uh, have never made the decision to follow Jesus for the first time. 
God is welcoming you into his family. He wants to adopt you as a son or a daughter. He wants you uh, to become heir, an heir of his kingdom. He wants to pay your debt in full. All you need to do is accept this offer. Accept this offer to become uh, his, his child. Accept this offer to follow him with all that you are. Accept this offer to give your life to him. So what I want to do tonight is I want to pray a prayer. And if you've never, uh, if you've never accepted this offer to follow Jesus for the first time, I want to invite you to pray this prayer uh, with me to God. God, I, I just confess that I don't have it all together. I feel the weight of my sin. And I know that I need you. I believe that you have paid my debt in full. And I choose to follow you with my entire life. And so tonight, I want to become a disciple of Jesus. That's my intention. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time, uh, I'm actually going to ask you to do something a little bold tonight while everybody else has their eyes closed and their, their heads down. Uh, I want to ask you to stand up. I want to ask you to take this moment and make it a moment where you say, I am making this decision to be a disciple of Jesus for the first time. There's nothing magical about it, but it's a moment to make a stand to say, this is what I want to be about. I love to pray for you. Uh, yeah. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for a reminder that you have uh, not created us uh, by mistake. That you love us and you're always chasing after us. And I pray for those who have made uh, this decision for the first time tonight to follow after you, to become your disciple, to be adopted into your family. Father, would you help us grasp this deep, deep love? in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our loneliness, that you are always seeking after us. So we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to invite us all to stand together, and we're just going to respond by singing uh, again of the love of God. And I, I also want to just point out, uh, we have some members of our prayer team at the back. I'm going to be back there as well. If there's something you're going through, that you would like prayer for. We'd love to pray for you. If you've made this decision for the first time tonight, I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, but now we uh, continue to focus our eyes on God together.